Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, joining us now is past Arkansas governor and popular communicator of conservative values, Mike Huckabee. Governor Huckabee also hosts his own hit show, Huckabee, right here on TBN. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us for this crucial conversation. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to talk with you because you can, you can give us a perspective from so many different sides. You've been a pastor, you've been a state governor, you've been a communicator uh, publicly on cultural issues, and you can play bass like Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, you're my guy. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very kind. What you basically are saying, Kirk, is that one of these days I'm going to find something I'm good enough to stick with. But in the meantime, <laughs> I've got all these different things that I've done. But it's such a pleasure to be with you. I so admire you, and I'm very, very happy to get to have this conversation. Well, you're, you're so kind, and you do wear so many different hats, and I'm thrilled to see that you're now wearing a beard. I am too. Uh, you know, they say that they, they actually, we have words for people who don't grow beards, women and children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I finally got old enough to grow one. Yeah. And I'm, I'm uh, thinking about becoming uh, the bass player in a ZZ Top tribute band. So I needed to get a good head start <laughs> maybe in about five or ten years. I'll have enough whiskers to be able to do it. That's, that's great. Well, um, Mike, I want to ask you this question. In, in today's climate, politically, culturally, economically, spiritually, politically, we need good leaders, we're all looking for good leaders, and good leaders are the ones who have been tasked with making the hard decisions. And decisions are particularly difficult in a culture where there's, there seems to be so many people are polarized and divided, and, and you've got to make decisions as a leader that affect a lot of people, even people who won't agree with your decisions. So how do you, as a pastor, as a governor, how do you make decisions wisely? What are the factors and the influencing elements that can help us do that? Well, even since my teen years, I've always lived by a few principles. One of them is lead by loving, not by shoving. Nobody wants to be pushed into something. Good leaders don't get behind people and kick them in the backside and tell them what they're gonna do. They get in front and they say, follow me. Mm. And so that's good leadership to begin with. The second thing I believe is very important, leaders never ask others to do what they're unwilling to do. You see people who say, you go do this because it's a small job and I'm too big for it. No, leaders are willing to set up the chairs. They're willing to uh, clean the tables off. Now, sometimes it may not be practical that the leaders do it, but the people in an organization need to know that you're willing to do anything you ask them to do. Mm. But I think by the bigger question of how do you get to the decision point, especially when you're trying to influence, a lot of it comes down to make sure you know deep down that what you're, what you're putting forth is something that you believe out of conviction, not out of political or organizational convenience. I see a lot of people, they kind of take a poll, they uh, put their finger in the air and see which mm. way the wind is blowing, and that's the way they go. It's a terrible way uh, to lead. 
I believe leadership is a whole lot like being a musician. Before you play the song, you have to tune the instrument. So the question is, to what do we tune? Mm. And any musician knows you don't tune to what you think, feel, or believe. You tune to an unchanging, very rigid musical standard so that the, uh, the C note is the same in Tokyo as it is in, um, uh, you know, Japan, in, in New York or in Mississippi. The C note is always exactly the same tone. And therefore, everyone, whether you play a trumpet or you play a guitar or piano, you have to play according to a very fixed standard. For Christians, it's pretty simple. The standard is the scripture. We tune ourselves to the word of God. And if we tune ourselves to what we think or what we feel or what we believe, uh, we're gonna play a lousy song. It's gonna be a train wreck and it'll be noise and it'll sound like chaos. And that's why I truly believe that the number one uh, characteristic of leadership is making sure that our own lives and our own convictions are tuned to something way bigger than us, certainly bigger than our feelings, bigger than our thoughts, bigger than our own personal beliefs. We can't live as it was in the time of judges when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Mike, I'm so thankful to be talking with someone who has so much wisdom. I love and wanna just, just double click on what you just said and go back in there and, and, and really listen again to that great advice. Um, once you've made a good decision, and now you have other people who are who are who are you know yelling at you from from the uh, you know the peanut gallery going that was a terrible decision. How are you able to find common ground with people who don't like the decisions that you make? You know the things that I learned uh, as governor when I had a legislature that was ninety percent the other party. So it was <clears throat> tough. It wasn't like these were guys who came to work every day, saying, "What can we do to?" make Huckabee look good. It was like, what can we do to get rid of this guy? <laughs> right. So I, I walked into the Capitol every day knowing uh, that I wasn't surrounded by people who wanted me to succeed, but I knew they wanted to succeed. Quite frankly, the key is that we ask ourselves, what does the other person want out of this? What is it that they want? And if I don't know, I ask them, what guys do you think is the single most important thing we've got to get done in education? Listen carefully and figure out what you can do to give them as much of what they want. Start from the basis of where you agree. Never start from the point at which you disagree. I see a lot of people make the big mistake of going into a negotiation, and it could be a negotiation for anything, even could be between a husband and wife. And if you walk in and say, okay, here's the part where we don't even agree, let's start there. Huge mistake, you've already lost. Walk in and figure out, on what things, even if it's small things, little bitty things, what do we agree on? And build from that outward and it makes a whole lot of difference. Man, that is so good. That would work in marriage. That works if we're considering the needs of others before our own and saying, how can I help them accomplish their goal? And then, you know, people are more willing to reciprocate and compromise. I, I, I love that. Some people, Governor Huckabee, are feeling that, that it's their responsibility to so represent purity and truth with regard to their religious beliefs, their political beliefs, that they can't lock arms and work together with people who don't share their same orthodoxy. Right? So can I work with a Jewish person as a Christian? Can I work with uh, a Democrat as a Republican or a Libertarian as a Democrat for a common cause 
without uh, looking like I'm compromising. And what, what, what issues would be worthy of doing something like that? Like, is freedom of speech a big enough issue? Is freedom of worship a big enough issue to reach across the aisle or into the temple or the mosque and work with people that are different than me? Not only is it something we can do, it's something we must do. Mm. I cannot say it loudly enough and strongly enough. Uh, one of the basis uh, of, of living life and living in a world where people are different is being able to help them to understand that I'm not their enemy. I'm not waking up every day wanting to uh, destroy what they believe. There's so many issues. For example, right now I'm uh, uh, working with International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Now this is largely a Jewish organization that raises money from Christian people to help impoverish Jewish people in God's land of Israel. And you, you might wonder why? Because it's an incredibly powerful witness to say to impoverished Jews, your Christian friends in America love you. They do? I didn't know they cared about me. Yeah, they do. And they're helping to bring a food box to you. There are other ways. For example, if, um, if it's a political issue and I wanna make sure that uh, we get fresh water to a community that has lousy water, do I care whether it's a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian who helps get that clean water to a community uh, where they desperately need it? Of course not. The issue is water. The issue is not who delivered it. Who drives the truck is not as important as what's in the back of that truck that gets delivered. That's why I would just say to all my Christian brothers and sisters, for heaven's sakes, look for opportunities to link arms with people who are as different from you as possible. Here's a couple of examples. Right now, an unusual relationship is being formed between feminist and evangelical Christians on the issue of ensuring that girls can play girl sports without having biological males come in and disrupt and destroy the capacity for women to compete. Now, that's not a, non, uh, a, a typical marriage, feminist and evangelicals, but it makes perfect sense. Feminists are doing it because they don't want women uh, to lose the things they fought so hard for under Title IX. Evangelicals, because we believe that God created male and female and that there's a distinct difference between the two. Uh, but here's an area on which two unlikely entities not only can agree, mm. but work together for the common good of uh, women's sports. Why wouldn't we want to do that? I think it's a wonderful way uh, to show that, you know, we're not afraid of anybody whose worldview may be different than ours. And if there are points at which we could agree, for example, I'm unapologetically pro-life. There's a group called Feminist for Life. Man, I'll join with them any day. A group called Democrats for Life. I'll be right there with them. Uh, because they're standing for something that is important to me. So yes, we need to always look for ways uh, and find the partnerships that help people in a broader sense than our own very narrowly focused interest. I love the examples, in the real world examples that you just gave, and, and I could think of another one. The pastor of the church that I've been a part of over these last couple of years has done a beautiful job of welcoming people during the, the pandemic times into the fellowship who have very different beliefs. We have Jewish people at our Christian church, and we have even atheists and agnostics who are coming to church 
not because of any religious reason. They simply have the common value of, of, of loving freedom. And these are surfers and skaters who are being kick, who were kicked off of the beaches and, and, and sand is being thrown into their skate parks. Their streams of liberty are drying up and so they're moving upstream looking for the source of that liberty. And what they're discovering is that liberty is God's idea not man's idea. So they're coming to the church to hear more about where liberty comes from. And, and in that context, um, they're able to, to, to hear the life-giving message of the gospel. And, and that wouldn't have taken place if we don't look to broaden uh, the circle and say, where do we have common ground and what can we fight for together? I can help you, you can help me. And that might start a relationship where we have further conversations that lead to further truth. That is such a wonderful example, Kurt. I mean, it thrills me to hear that because it, it's a great reminder that when Jesus went out into the community, he didn't just go to the synagogue and say, okay, the only people I care about are the religious people the people who think like me. He walked out into the community and he found fishermen and tax collectors, the most hated people uh, in the community, the tax collectors. Uh, and he said, you know, I want to come to your house, Zach Kiss, and, and have dinner with you. That's right. This is how we, we change the world, one person at a time, but we do it by uh, loving people, not by condemning people. And I just think that's a beautiful and a brilliant way it's sort of like that line in the movie Jerry Maguire, help me help you. That was the line, help me help you. And sometimes that's what we do as believers, ask people, you know, help me help you. And we do that. Well, I wanna continue our conversation. This is so good. Uh, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about how you and I as individuals can influence this culture well, how do we advocate for our faith-driven values without forcing our beliefs on other people? Coming up next on Takeaways. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, welcome back everybody. Uh, Governor Huckabee, we, we just had a great conversation about how to make difficult decisions and how to make important compromises for uh, a good common cause. Um, what I think is important now is for us to discuss each person's individual role as, as an everyday believer. Um, let me ask you this question. Um, some people would say that I have trouble uh, standing up for what I believe in because I'm afraid it's gonna give people the impression that I'm trying to push my values on them. Like, like how, do I, how do I advocate for biblical faith-driven values without being pushy and people thinking that I'm trying to make them uh, live under my rules? What do you say about that? A lot of it has, yeah, I think a lot of it is simple attitude. If we give the attitude that, look, if you don't believe like me, you're just dead wrong, and you're gonna split hell wide open, as the saying down south used to be. Well, that's not a very effective way to build a bridge, but it's about loving people and saying, look, I know there's some things with, with which we disagree, but here's where I'm coming from on this. It's important to me, but I respect and appreciate if you don't see it that way. 
In other words, let people know what your convictions are and why you have them. The why is important. But don't make it as if disagreeing with you um, means that we can't be friends and we can't continue the conversation. That's what we have to do is, is make that divide. Have the humility to always have a learning spirit, a teachable spirit. And that goes a long way, even with people that will never agree with some of our biblical convictions. I love that. Even my wife says, Kirk, sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. That's what's making it so difficult. Yeah. All right, and, and you're talking about uh, we need to, to communicate in kind and gracious ways. But you know, I, I, back to this idea of forcing our beliefs on other people and how we, some people would say, you know, of course we don't wanna do that. Well, I think the idea uh, of, of, of values being forced on, on everybody in a society is inescapable. I mean, if you think about it, we live in America. We are uh, one nation under God and we live under rules called laws. And those laws are based on a certain set of moral values. And every one of us is equal under the law. And all of us have to abide by the speed limit and you can't steal and you can't murder, you can't do those things. So really the question is not whether or not a set of values can be uh, required to be kept by all the people. It's just a question of whose values should be the basis for the laws in the nation. And I think it should be the values that are gonna produce the most freedom and the most flourishing for both believers and non-believers alike. We never need to apologize for what we believe or why we believe it, we just need to explain it. Uh, some people still won't agree with it, but one of the ways in which we should try to work to, uh, to bring a worldview uh, into the law and into society and culture is to remind people that we're living by two parallel value systems. One is a biblical worldview, which is Judeo-Christian, which unapologetically and without dispute was the moral foundation upon which the country is founded. The other is our constitution, which is that social contract that we have agreed would be the foundation and the, uh, the essence of all of the laws that we ever create. And say, so we're just trying to be consistent with that. We should never apologize. Now, get it, be clear, there are gonna be people who will be angry if they don't get their way. And sometimes we just have to smile and say, you know, I'm sorry, we won that time. Here's the, what I would say, there's three steps in trying to get something accomplished. One, try to win, and when you win, win with humility and with a sense of graciousness toward those who didn't win. Secondly, if you can't win, influence. Make sure that you put enough salt uh, in that to preserve something of what your values are. Uh, keep some light in the darkness. So try not to make it an all or nothing proposition. Biggest mistake I see people make in politics, they go into it and it's all or nothing now or never. And when you have that attitude, you get nothing and you get it forever. So if you can't win outright, have some influence. And finally, uh, just make sure that regardless of the outcome, that you stick true and faithful uh, to your biblical convictions. Because at some point, when, when the other side's attitude, for example, let's say in criminal justice, fails miserably, they may want to come back and say, now what was it that you said and, and how would that be helpful? So I would just remind people, you don't win every time. Uh, when you don't, live to fight another day. I, I, I love talking with you, Governor, because you're, you're so unlike so many politicians. You, you, you just, you know, you exude these, these 
well, kindness and courage and biblical values, but you're also not like a lot of pastors because you're willing to talk about politics. Most pastors seem to avoid <laughs> politics like they avoid the coronavirus. And I actually appreciate when a man of wisdom and faith is actually willing to engage in cultural leadership positions because that brings happiness to the people. And, and, and that's me. I'm, I'm not only a member of the family of faith sitting in a church, I'm also a citizen of this country with kids and I'm looking for a future for them. What would you say to encourage pastors to have some courage and begin to speak on these issues that are affecting schools and businesses and our government? Well, I would ask them if you as a pastor are not gonna influence your community, whether it's through the school board or the city council or the state legislature or through the national uh, Congress, then who is? because somebody's gonna influence. And if it's not you, and if it's not other Christian believers, then basically you have surrendered it to people who are with great antithesis toward your own value system. So we get what we surrender to, which means the reason we have a million abortions a year is because there weren't enough people like Amos and Jeremiah who were prophetic to say, that's not right. And so we don't have to be angry, we don't have to be mean, we don't have to even uh, make it that our political agenda is equal to our eternal agenda, but we should never be apologetic, never should we surrender those biblical convictions because if we believe that they're truth, then we believe that they're good for people, that a wholesome marriage is better than a divorce, that loving our children and raising them in nurture and admonition of the Lord is better than uh, ignoring them or beating them or abusing them, that being honest with people in business and treating them right is better than cheating people, makes for a better economy. So everything that we want to put forth has a practical benefit and we need to always remind people of that practical benefit, but never apologize because quite frankly, if, if we don't believe in it enough to stand for it, we really don't believe in it very much. Man. Why didn't you win the presidential election? <laughs> that's another, that's another, Great that's question. another episode. I've asked myself that many times, I don't know. <laughs> wow, this is so good, I could just talk to you for hours. Mike, um, many people feel like living in America is like living on a slowly sinking ship. They feel like our values, our faith is just, it's, it's been under attack and we're watching the demise of a great nation. Will you speak to your hope in this country? Do you think it's possible to right the ship? Can we turn America around? And if so, what's the path to being able to do that? Oh, I, I definitely believe it can be done. Um, and I hope it will be done because you know God is the God of great things. He's the God of great turnarounds. And so here's what I feel has to happen. The people who know him must get on their faces before him, repent of the sin of neglect of this country and of our responsibilities and say, God, here, I am. here am I, send me. Yep. That's first. And then it's, uh, it's praying and believing that God is going to do something big. Here's what I do believe is beginning to happen. Hadn't happened yet, but it's starting. People are beginning to wake up to the nuttiness of the godless worldview that says, just do whatever I wanna do. Yep. And we're seeing a complete breakdown of family, uh, the breakdown of civil society, riots in the streets, people hating the very people who are there to enforce it and saying, get rid of the cops. I mean, that's nonsense. 
And, and folks are scratching their heads and saying, wait a minute, this stuff's gone too far. Perfect opportunity for us to step in and say, there is another way and it's a better way. And it's called order, decency, respect. It basically comes down to this one rule taught by a guy named Jesus. And that's this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's live that way. It changed the world. And that's a message that'll still work. I think it works every time. I think it's timeless. I think you're exactly right. And this could be the church's finest hour.